the National Archives podcast series, Sovereign, Squire and Rebel, Maharaja Duleep Singh and the Heirs of a Lost Kingdom, presented by Peter Bance. Thank you, Parveen. Thank you for inviting me here today uh, to do this talk. Before I actually talk about Dilip Singh, I'd like to give a little background history into the history of the Punjab, the rise of the Sikh Empire, and also on Ranjit Singh, who was the father of Dilip Singh. Now, in the middle of the 18th century, there was a power vacuum in the Punjab. The central government at Delhi was engaged in war with the British, who were expanding their territories westwards from Bengal, and through the Middle East from Afghanistan and Persia, we had constant looting and plundering into India. And the Punjab was a buffer state, and they took the brunt of the looting and plundering. The Sikhs, who were a martial race in the Punjab, formed confederacies. Um, these were known as missiles, and there were 12 missiles in the Punjab, and each missile would rule and control a small section of the Punjab. And on the outset of an outside attack, the 12 missiles would come together as one fighting force and eradicate the enemy. Now, amongst these, um, these missiles we had, the smaller one was the Sukhachakya missile, and its leader was a brave soldier called Ranjit Singh. He very cleverly married the only child of a very powerful missile leader, hence bringing two missiles as one power, powerhouse. And one by one, he began taking over the other missiles. By 1799, he had taken the capital city of the Punjab, which was Lahore, and in 1801, he was crowned the Maharaja of the Punjab. Uh, this is the Maharaja's ancestry. Ranjit Singh's father was Maha Singh. And it is said, if Maha Singh had not met his premature death in 1792, when his own matchlock exploded while he was still wearing it, he would have surely become the ruler of the Punjab himself. He had one son, Ranjit Singh, and Ranjit Singh had seven sons. His younger son was Dilip Singh, born from his most famous and well-known wife, Jindgaur, and he had six other sons from various other queens. And here we have Ranjit Singh, known as the Lion of the Punjab, also known as the One-Eyed Lion of the Punjab, because he was blind on the left eye. And this was due to having smallpox as a child. But he always used this to his advantage and said, God gave me one eye so I would look upon everyone equally. The Sikh Empire. Now, by 1805, the British realised the Sikh Empire was a major powerhouse in the Indian subcontinent, and they sought a treaty. In 1809, we had the Treaty of Amritsar, which recognised the border between British India and Ranjit Singh's Punjab as the River Satluj. Now, as Ranjit Singh's southern border was fixed with the British, he concentrated his efforts northwards towards Kashmir and westwards right up to the foothills of the Khyber Pass. Over the next 40 years, his kingdom became larger in size than Great Britain. In 1839, after a series of strokes, Ranjit Singh died. Now, between Ranjit Singh dying and Dilip Singh becoming the Maharaja in 1843, the history of the Punjab gets a little confusing. So I've got this diagram here, which explains who became the Maharaja after Ranjit Singh. Now, he had seven sons, which are the boxes in purple. And after he died in 1839, Karak Singh, his eldest son, became the Maharaja. Now, Karak Singh was a very weak ruler, and he was overthrown by his own son, Nornihal Singh, 
who can be seen at the bottom, number three. Karak Singh never became the Maharaja, sorry, Nornihar Singh never became the Maharaja, but he took over the Punjab. He left his father on the throne, but his father had no control. In 1841, after a short illness, Karak Singh dies. And after cremating his father, Nornihar Singh is riding back into the Lahore fort, when the archway of the Lahore gate falls upon his, falls upon his head and crushes his skull. It was a mysterious death. Some say it was murder. Some say it was pure accident. It was never known. Chandgor, on the left, we can see is Karak Singh's wife. She, she took control of the Punjab as she claimed that Sebgor, Nornihar Singh's wife, was expecting a child. And until that child was born, she would take, and take control of the Punjab and basically look after uh, the Punjab kingdom as a regent. Now, Sebgor gives birth to a child, but the child is still born. But Chandgor still refuses to give up the control of the Punjab. The Prime Minister next invites Shir Singh, number four, the second son of Ranjit Singh, to come to the Punjab and take control of the kingdom. He enters Lahore with, with ease and he asks Chandgore to leave. She refuses, but then they manage to have an agreement where she's given an estate and a pension. And she's given a small estate just outside of the capital city. But six months later, she too is found dead when her own maidservant had crushed her skull. Again, we don't know who did it, but all the sort of fingers point towards Shir Singh. So now Shir Singh becomes the Maharaja in 1841. The next two years, the Punjab history is fairly peaceful. And here we see Dalip Singh as a prince before he became the Maharaja. He was born in 1838 on the 4th of September. His father, as I mentioned, was Ranjit Singh. His mother was Jind Gaur. Now, Jind Gaur was the daughter of Manna Singh Olak, who was the royal kennel keeper, basically the man who looked after Ranjit Singh's dogs. As a child, it is said that Manna Singh would run around with Jinda on his shoulders and run around the Maharaja and tell him, Oh, Maharaja, marry my young daughter. She will make the old Maharaja young again. He was seen as a bit of a buffoon, and Ranjit Singh ignored him for many years. But when Jindakor grew up, he saw how beautiful she was, and he married her in 1835. In 1838, Dalip Singh was born. Now, in 1843, Sher Singh who is the current Maharaja, is assassinated. He's assassinated by the Sandawaliya Sardars. Now, basically, these are the cousins of the royal family. They strongly believe that Sher Singh had his own sister-in-law murdered. And they took their revenge in 1843. And when Sher Singh was inspecting a section of his own army, they assassinated him. The other sons of Ranjit Singh put forth claim, their claim to the throne of the Punjab. But the court which was influenced by Dalip Singh's uncle, who yielded great influence in the royal court, they all voted for Dalip Singh, who was only five years old at this time. So the five-year-old Dalip Singh becomes the Maharaja of the Punjab because of the influence of his uncle. His uncle becomes the prime minister, and his mother, Jind Gaur, becomes the regent. And for the next couple of years, he enjoys the fruits of his position. But by 1845, the Sikh army orders the Prime Minister, to their camp, as they strongly believe that Jawar Singh is involved in the murders of Ranjit Singh's other sons, who in the last two years have also been knocked off one by one. 
Jawar Singh, being clever, thinks, well, if I take Dalip Singh with me to the Sikh camp on my elephant, the Sikh army will dare not touch me. But how wrong he was. When he enters the Sikh camp, he is ordered off his elephant, he is shot, and his head is severed off. Now, Jind Gauri's sister is on another elephant, and she can only watch her brother being mercilessly killed in front of her. And it is said, to punish the Sikh army, she sends them to the southern border to provoke war against the British. Now, I won't go into the ins and outs of the first Anglo-Sikh war, which starts off in 1845, because this is really a, a topic for a, a lecture on its own. But the end result was that the Sikhs were defeated in 1846. The British entered Lahore. A small section of the Punjab was annexed to British India. Kashmir was sold to Raja Gulab Singh to pay for the war indemnity. And a British resident was installed in the capital city of Lahore. Now, this resident would look after the kingdom on behalf of Dalip Singh until he reached the age of 16. So basically, the British resident would basically be looking after securing the Maharaja's interests until he reaches majority. A year later, Maharani Jindgor, who has no power in the royal court now, is constantly meddling in daily affairs. And the British do not like it one bit. They find her a threat to the interests, British interests in the Punjab. And they remove her from Lahore. They imprison her in the south of the Punjab at Sherkapura. And later, they put her at a very strong fort in Chinar, where she actually manages to escape disguised as her own maidservant. She travels through hundreds of miles of forest and finds sanctuary in Nepal. The king of Nepal gives her protection. In 1848, there's a small outbreak. There's a revolt in the Muldan province of the Punjab by some Sikh soldiers. Firstly, they are annoyed at the way the Queen Mother has been treated. She's been imprisoned and she's been taken away from Dalip Singh. And secondly, they really believe that the British are here to stay. They are not going to give the kingdom back to Dalip Singh when he reaches the age of 16. The outbreak is allowed to escalate. Lord Dalhousie, who is the Governor General of, um, of India, allows this small skirmish to escalate into a full-scale war so that a full-scale annexation of the Punjab can take place. In 1849, the Sikhs are defeated and the Punjab is annexed. Basically, the East India Company, which was meant to be protecting Dalip Singh and his interests in the Punjab, annexed the kingdom for their own interests. Dalip Singh is removed from the throne. He is to give up all rights for himself and his children to the throne of the Punjab. And in return, he's allowed to keep the title of Maharaja and is given a pension of no less than 40 and no more than 50,000 pounds per annum. It's a bit fuzzy. This is an engraving showing Dalip Singh meeting Lord Harding after the first Anglo-Sikh war. On the left, we can see Lord Dalhousie. And in this engraving in the Illustrated London News, we can see Lord Dalhousie meeting Dalip Singh after the annexation of the Punjab. This was published in a London newspaper in 1849. Now on the left we can see one of the, well, this is the first image or photograph of the Leap Singh. This was the birth of photography in the Punjab. This was taken by a British officer who was an amateur photographer by the name of John McCosh. And it was taken around 1848, just before the Punjab was annexed. On the right, we can see a watercolour, a very accurate watercolour of Dalip Singh, 
painted by Sir Henry Harding, who was the Governor General of India before Dalhousie. This is painted by Sir Henry Harding's son, Charles Stuart Harding, in 1848-1849. The Leap Singh was now placed under the charge of Dr John Logan, a Scottish army doctor, who would basically be the Maharaja's guardian. Amongst Dr Logan's first duties was to remove the Maharaja from the Punjab, take him away from the Sikhs. And he took him to Fatehgarh, which is in Uttar Pradesh in India, in central India. Now, Fatehgarh Cantonment was an establishment for the wives and children of British officers serving in India. And it's here that the Maharaja would spend the next four years, between 1850 to 1854, he would spend at Fatehgarh Cantonment. And this is a sketch painted of drawn at Fatehgarh Cantonment. During the Years that he spent here, the Maharaja was taken on many excursions. He was taken to see the Red Fort at Delhi, the Taj Mahal at Agra, and in the summer months, he was taken to a hill station near Delhi called Masuri. And this is the building he was kept at in Masuri. And it's here that the Maharaja was painted in oils by the Victorian artist George Beachy, which is this painting. The Maharaja was cut off from all his Sikh countrymen. Um, none of his relatives were allowed to visit him. And he was steered towards Christianity, and he began expressing a wish to adopt the Christian faith. By late 1853, the Maharaja expressed a wish to Logan that he wanted to become a Christian. This painting was given as a gift to Lord Dalhousie when the Maharaja was given permission to go to England. To, well, the reason he was told that he was going to go to England was uh, on an educational tour to study at an institute in England. And in return, Lord Dalhousie presented the Maharaja with this Bible, which is kept at Fetford Museum. The Maharaja became a Christian in 1854, and in the same year he was given permission to travel to England on a so-called educational tour. The Maharaja arrived in England in May 1854. He arrived at Southampton, and he was given an immediate audience with Queen Victoria who took an instant liking to him. She encouraged him to mix with the royal princes. He became uh, a lifelong friend of the Prince of Wales. He had a deep affection with Prince Leopold. And the Queen even encouraged him to basically come on holiday with the royal family. He would go to Osborne House in the Isle of Wight and spend, e and spend many weeks with the family there. He was also allowed to open correspondence with the royal princes as well. And this photograph was actually taken by the Prince Consort, Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's husband. The Queen also commissioned her favourite family artist, Winterhalter, to paint the Maharaja in 1854 at Buckingham Palace. And this is really a classic example of um, tweaking, the 19th century tweaking or Photoshop, where the Maharaja is made to look much more glamorous, much more handsome and much more taller than he actually was. He never did attain this height. That's And this is where the painting hangs, at the Durbar Hall in Osborne House, uh, next to a painting of the Leap Singh's son, Prince Victor the Leap Singh. And here we have an image from the London Illustrator News in 1854, announcing that the Maharaja the Leap Singh is in England on an educational tour. 
However, when the Maharaja came to England, he was told there was no place for a prince of such a rank to go to an institute. He was also told he'd probably get thrashed if he did. So the matter was dropped, and the disappointment really did affect him throughout his life. On the left is a bust of Dalip Singh, which was commissioned by Queen Victoria in 1854 by Baron Marachetti. And this bust is on display at Osborne House in the Isle of Wight. In 1856, the Maharaja wanted to go back to in India because he wasn't allowed to go to an institute like he was told. Um, but at that time, the mutiny was taking place in India. And Sir John basically informed him that the natives were going mad in India. And if he went back, he'd probably be killed by his own people. So to take his mind off things, the Maharaja was taken on a continental tour of Europe. And whilst visiting Italy, he met the London-born Gibson, who was plying his trade in Rome. And the Maharaja commissioned this bust by Gibson on the right-hand side. Now, this bust actually sold at a London auction house in 2007, and I was uh, fortunate enough to write the description for the auction house. And it's, it's a massive one-metre-high bust of the Maharaja. And it was valued at £25,000. But when the hammer fell, it fell at £1.7 million. Pounds. And um, it just so happens, I was giving a talk a couple of years ago at Blow Norton in Norfolk, which is um, a village where the Maharaja's children had stayed uh, between the First and Second World War. And I told the local villagers that this bus used to be on a pedestal in a garden of one of the houses in Blow Norton. And in the 1960s and 1970s, the owner of the house tried to sell this statue for £50. He offered it around, and there were no takers for it. <laughs> and as I was giving this talk, this gentleman, this elderly gentleman in the audience, he stood up and he said, I was offered that bust for 40 pounds. <laughs> and, and he said, I didn't accept it because I thought it was a bit of a voodoo doll. And I said, well, don't you regret investing 40 pounds, which would have accumulated to 1.7 million? And he said, no, I've got no regrets. And I thought, what a liar, because <laughs> <laughs> I would have had regrets. <laughs> The Maharaja now became the ideal party accessory, invited to every royal function of the day. And here we can see him on the front page of the graphic newspaper at the court at Buckingham Palace with Queen Victoria. And we can just see the back of the Leap Singh, and he's got the turban on. And there's an engraving of one of the princes of Queen Victoria's sons getting married at Westminster Abbey. And the Leap Singh, we can see, is quite prominent standing behind the Prince of Wales and other royal princes. So his rank amongst the royal princes um, of Europe and of India was very high. And this is a coat of arms which was designed by Prince Albert, the Prince Consort. The Maharaja stated that I'm a Sikh and I wish to remain a Sikh, so he refused to register this at the College of Arms. But in respect to Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, he used this on all his stationery. And it says Dalip Singh in Hindi. And above we have the three-star coronet and the lion. The lion signifying the lion of the Punjab. And here we have the Maharaja at Roehampton. When the Maharaja arrived in England, he stayed some months at Claridge's Hotel in London. And then a permanent address was taken for him at Roehampton. First at Ashburton Park and then at Canazara's house, which is a really nice hotel now in Roehampton. From there, Logan took the Maharaja to his native Scotland and he rented Mengis Castle for
for the Leap Singh. And it's here that the Maharaja became initiated into grouse shooting and hunting. He became a fine shot amongst one of the best in the country. <coughs> and Mengis had a very fine grouse moor. After the lease expired, he took Mulgrave Castle in Whitby in Yorkshire. And here the Maharaja even kept elephants. Now here we have the Maharaja in 1859-1860. During this time, the Maharaja had an urge to meet his mother. He had found out that she had escaped to Nepal and he wished to open communication with her. He sent a letter through a travelling oh, banker which was intercepted by British intelligence. The British felt the Maharani was old now, she was frail, and she was virtually blind. She was no danger to them now. So they said, well, let's let mother and son meet. He was given permission in the beginning of 1861, and he travelled to Calcutta. He wasn't allowed to go to the Punjab, so he had to visit his mother in Bengal, in the city of Calcutta, at Spencer's Hotel, which is a very famous European establishment. It just so happens that on this particular visit, the Sikh army, which was now part of the British Indian army, was returning from the China War. And they, they were coming down the river Hooghly when they heard that the Maharaja was in town. And suddenly, crowds began gathering outside the hotel, chanting his name. The British became alarmed, and they told the Maharaja that he must return at once. And if he wanted to, he could take his mother with him. Jinder was more than happy to go because she'd be with her son again. And secondly, her casket of jewels, which was confiscated when she escaped to Nepal, would be returned to her. So she happily came back. And in London, a house was taken for her at Lancaster Gate, two doors away from Sir John's house, Sir John Logan's house. The Maharaja had George Richmond paint this lovely painting of the Maharani while she was living in London. After some months, she was moved to Kensington at Abingdon House, and sadly, after two years of meeting her son, the Maharani passed away. We got a copy of an original telegram sent to Sir John Logan on the morning of the Maharani's death, and it basically reads, please come up quickly, my mother has expired this morning at a quarter past six. Two months later, the Leap Singh lost another parent when Sir John Logan passed away. Originally, the Leap Singh wanted Sir John to be buried at a mausoleum he was building in Suffolk. But Lady Logan felt that Sir John had spent many of his happy years at Felixstowe, so it's only right that he should be buried there. So at the Maharaja's own expense, he built this red and white granite, sorry, red, so red and white granite memorial at Old, Old Felixstowe. And it said that the Maharaja openly wept at the funeral and said, today I've lost my father. So that's how close he was with Sir John Logan. In 1862, the Maharaja purchased Hathrop Castle in Gloucestershire at a cost of £183,000 with the loans secured on the property. But after purchasing the house, he found it wasn't good for the conservation of game and he already had his eyes set on the Elverdon estate which had newly come on the market. Now, in 1864, the Maharaja was given permission to go to India to take his mother's remains because at that time, cremation was illegal in England. The Maharani's body was stored in the catacombs of Kensal Green Dissenters Chapel, and after getting permission from the British government, 
he took a ship with his mother's body to travel to India for cremation. Now, on the way, he, at, he stopped at Cairo, and at a missionary school, he met Bamba Muller. He took an instant liking to Bamba Muller, and he proposed to her. And God knows how she accepted, because she couldn't understand English. She only spoke Arabic. But she, she did accept, and he told the principal to prepare his new bride, for after carrying out the duties of a son, he would come and marry his new bride. So he went off to India. Again, he wasn't allowed to go to the Punjab. He went to Bombay, and he cremated Jindkor on the banks of the Godavari in Bombay. In June 1864, he returned back to Cairo, and he married his new bride. As I said, she couldn't speak English, so she said her vows in Arabic, and he spoke his vows in English. And then they went on a short honeymoon in Ramlir, and then he took his wife back to England. As the newly purchased Elverdon Hall, the renovation works were still going on, so he took his wife to Auchland in Scotland, a hunting lodge he had there, until the works would be completed. And after a couple of months, the Maharani gave birth to their first child. But sadly, the boy died after two days. And the family had a very private funeral in the local Kenmore churchyard. And this is an original photograph taken just after the funeral, and which was from the family's personal photograph album. And this is Elverdon Hall, which the Maharaja purchased in Suffolk. And this particular version of the hall was called Admiral Keppel's Hall. And the Maharaja completely transformed this house and renovated it. And when he finished, the house looked like this, much larger. And we can just see the little figure outside is the Maharaja Sikh valet, Arul Singh. The Maharaja wanted this to be his own Sikh palace. He sent architects, surveyors, photographers to go out to India to copy the fine Mughal palaces and forts that he was accustomed to. And this is a plan of the Maharaja's house with the fountains on the right, an aviary on the left, and the servants' quarters. And most of the left was all demolished when the present family, the, the Guinness family who owned the house now, um, they actually doubled the size of the hall in 1901 and basically all the left wing was destroyed. And this is how the house looked inside. Um, and it still looks like this, but it's falling to bits. The house has been lying on its own, and it's been lying derelict for 50 years after the US Air Base, or th the US Army used it as an air base during the Second World War. And this is some of the Maharaja's estate workers. On the left, we can see Arul Singh, his Sikh valet, and members of the Mays family who were gamekeepers, maids, and ladies-in-waiting to the young children as well. And the Mays family still live in the Elverdon and Fetford area even today. And here we can see the Maharaja seated on the right. And in the centre, we can see with a black hat, is the Prince of Wales. As I said, the Maharaja had a lifelong friendship with the Prince of Wales. And the Prince of Wales also loved hunting. He was a fine shot, probably the best shot in the country. And they had many hunting parties. And it wasn't long before the prince paid a visit to the Leipzig's <coughs> estate at Elverdon. He was originally meant to come in 1871, but due to that fatal illness he had that year, the trip was put back. And in 1872, the Prince of Wales came with his sons, Prince George and Prince Albert, by which time the Maharaja had expanded his estate to over 14,500 acres. 
And here we have another shot, the Maharaja seated in the middle with his hand on his knee and the Prince of Wales on the left in between the doors. Now this photograph was taken in 1876 and this was one of the grandest hunting parties ever. It's one of the famous grand hunting festivities um, which can be read about and, and there's a lot of books about this particular event. And it was such an event that the Prince of Wales actually wrote back to his secretary telling him about the amazing day shooting. So I'm going to just quote. We had the most extraordinary good days shooting, having killed yesterday and today close on 6,000 head, nearly 4,500 of which were pheasants. It is certainly the most wonderful shooting I ever saw, and I doubt whether ever such bags have been, have been made before. And we have the Maharaja's other hunting friends, including, including Lord de Grey, who was also a very fine shot. And Tom Turner, who was a gamekeeper, wrote in his memoirs, It was 1875, and these were the days of muzzle loaders. And the Maharaja had three double-barrel guns and two loaders, who with their blue and green waistcoats, powder flasks, and leather shoot bags made a great impression on my mind. The Maharaja held two outstanding records for shooting, the first was 440 grouse to his own gun in 1871. And the second record was during that 1876 trip where the Maharaja bagged 780 for 1,000 cartridges expended, rated as the largest bag ever made by one gun in England. The Maharaja was of the opinion that had the hand rear birds been available to him, he would have shot between 1,400 and 2,000. Now, in a good season, the Maharaja basically killed 9,600 pheasants, 9,400 partridges, 3,000 hares, and 75,000 rabbits. So, absolute slaughter. <laughs> so whilst the men had their parties, the ladies too had their tennis parties. And the lady seated in the centre in the middle row is Bamba, Bamba Muller, the, the Maharaja's wife. And the two young boys, who look like girls because they've got long hair, are actually the Maharaja's two elder sons. Prince Frederick Dilip Singh and Prince Victor Dilip Singh. And as the Maharaja and Maharani moved into Elverdon, the house began to fill with children and we got five of the royal children seated outside Elverdon Hall. And the six children were Prince Victor Dilip Singh, who was the eldest son. He was the godson of Queen Victoria, named after Queen Victoria. He was baptised in the private chapel at Windsor Castle. Prince Frederick, who was the most well-known of the Maharaja's children. Princess Bamba, who was the eldest daughter, who outlived her entire family. She died at the age of 89 in 1957 in Lahore, which is now in Pakistan. Princess Catherine, the very secretive second daughter of the Maharaja, who spent most of her life in Germany. She also helped Jews escape Nazi Germany during the Second World War, and she used to house them. In her, at her estate in Buckinghamshire. And 50 years after her death, <coughs> a Swiss bank account in her name came to light as well. And Princess Sophia, who was the fanatical suffragette, the youngest daughter of the Maharaja. And finally, Prince Edward Albert, who died as a young boy. And here we can see Prince Victor the Leap Singh. The painting on the right was commissioned on Victor's 13th birthday, and this was a gift for Queen Victoria, and he actually hangs at Osborne House in the Isle of Wights. And if we can see the princesses on the left picture, 
On the left-hand side is Princess Bamba. Standing behind them is Catherine. And on the right-hand side is Sophia. And little Edward Albert in the middle. The photograph on the right-hand side is when the princesses were... Well, this is their basically their former presentation at court. And this was the second son of the Maharaja, Prince Frederick Dilip Singh, who was um, an archaeologist, a conservationist, and a historian. He was wholly against the closure of places of worship, and he saved many buildings in Norfolk and Suffolk from closure and destruction. It includes Norfolk Cathedral, uh, the churches at Wyndham, Berry Town Hall, and also the church at Thompson. He joined the Suffolk Yeomanry and later transferred to the Norfolk Yeomanry. He served um, in the First World War as well. And here we have Princess Sophia Dalip Singh, the youngest daughter of the Maharaja. Uh, she was a fanatical suffragette, known to chain herself to the gates of Hampton Court Palace, and she was seen to be selling the suffragette paper at matinee houses and theatres. And I believe the National Archives holds quite a few records of the princess as well. She also helped many of the Asians or the Indians that were living in England at the time. And we can see a photograph on the left, and the princess is in the centre, collecting money uh, for the Indian soldiers during the First World War. And also, she nursed many wounded Indian soldiers at the various hospitals in Brighton. This is a spy cartoon of the Maharaja, mimicking him with a, a big belly and his receding hairline. By this time, the Maharaja was finding bringing a royal family up wasn't cheap. His promised pension of 40 to 50,000 pounds was never received. At best, he received 25,000 per annum. The British government felt that was adequate for him. The Maharaja began delving into his past, into the annexation treaty, and in the ways that he was dethroned from the Punjab. He contacted his cousin, Tagra Singh in Amritsar, and asked him to investigate how the Punjab was annexed and if there was any loophole in this annexation treaty. In 1884, Tagra Singh, who was seated in the centre, or beyond the table, after carrying out various investigations, compiled his report and left Amritsar in 1884 with his sons and a Sikh priest who would recite the Sikh scriptures to the Maharaja on his visit to England. He arrived in England and he informed the Maharaja that personal property belonging to the Maharaja and his family, which was not part of state property, was illegally annexed from him, was taken away from him. So this was basic possessions which Ranjit Singh owned before he became the Maharaja of the Punjab, and these were taken away with state property. And amongst this state property, or oh, sorry, amongst this landed property, the personal property, was the salt mines in Bindadun Khan. Now these salt mines were worth £350,000 per annum, whereas the Maharaja was only receiving £25,000 per annum. The Leap Singh requested a trial. He was again refused. By 1885-1886, the Maharaja thought, I've had enough. He informed the British government he was leaving for India, and he was taking his children with him. He would be packing his bags and selling off his belongings. He took a ship to India, but when the ship docked halfway at Aden, the British resident at Aden stepped onto the ship 
and arrested the Maharaja and his family. He was told he could not proceed to India for the security of the empire. And if he attempted to, very harsh steps would be taken against him. Now, to save face, he sent his wife and his children back to England so he could make a stand in Aden. He also requested his cousin be allowed to visit him at Aden so he could be baptised into the Sikh religion. And this was really to wind up the British for what they had done. His cousin visited him and the Maharaja was initiated into the Sikh religion again. And here we can see one of the, sort of the last images of the Maharaja as a Sikh. Now during his time in Aden, in the summer heat, the Maharaja became quite ill. And the British doctor informed the resident that the Maharaja must move to a cooler climate as it would have been terrible if he had died whilst under British arrest. He was told he could go anywhere in Europe, but if he went to India or attempted to go to India, he would be arrested again. The Maharaja headed to Marseille, and from Marseille he went to Paris, where various characters from all over Europe contacted him. The French underworld made contact with him. The Fenians also contacted him. German intelligence was watching him, and Russian agents also approached him with their own plan. And here's two of the people. On the left, we have Katkov, a Russian journalist and an agent of the Tsar. He informed the Maharaja that the Tsar of Russia would give him 20,000 men to march into India through Afghanistan. And when the British Indian Army would be sent against them, the Sikhs, seeing their Maharaja on the other side, would come to their si would come to the Leap Singh side, and the Fenians would arrange for the Irish regiments in the British Indian Army to rebel in the rear. The plan was bizarre, and it was never going to happen. And on top of it, the British knew his every move, and for the reason for that was Colonel Tevis. Colonel Tevis was an American Irish. He was a spy, and he was originally trained to infiltrate the Fenian movement in Paris. But when Dalip Singh arrived in Paris, they thought he was more of a priority case. So he shifted his attentions to Dalip Singh and got employment as the Maharaja's personal secretary. So from now on, every letter, every contact, every person that the Maharaja met, every letter he wrote, would be duplicated and sent to the Foreign Office in London. So the British knew his every move. And he was basically a laughingstock because here we got the Punch cartoon in the Punch newspaper mimicking the Maharaja's actions, and we see Katkov, the Russian, dressed as the Russian bear, playing the flute, and Dalip Singh is dancing to his every tune. When Dalip Singh arrived in Moscow, Katkov was mysteriously murdered. Two weeks later, he was informed that Thakur Singh's cousin in the Punjab was also poisoned. The Maharaja was heartbroken. His mission in Russia had ended. He returned back to Paris, and when he arrived in Paris, he was told that his wife, Bamba, had also died. And the reason she died was her youngest daughter, Sophia, had caught pneumonia. And Bamba stayed up praying all night beside her bed. In the morning, Sophia had recovered, but Bamba had fallen into a coma, and she died the following morning. By now, Dalip Singh became very ill. He married his mistress, Ada Weverell, who is on the right-hand side, and he had two daughters, Princess Pauline and Princess Irene, with his second wife. 
He had a series of strokes, but after briefly recovering from the strokes, he asked his eldest son, Victor Dalip Singh, to write to Queen Victoria for a royal pardon. The following year, Queen Victoria visited France, the south of France, and she invited the Maharaja to come and see him. The Maharaja went to see Queen Victoria, and he fell beside her, and he wept, and he asked for an apology. The Queen still had an affection for her favourite Indian prince, and she gave him a royal pardon to the dismay of her ministers. The Maharaja did again, did once again visit England on one occasion, and that was to visit his young son, Edward Albert, who was ill in 1893. <coughs> prince Albert had a subsiding of the stomach which wouldn't stop, and after two weeks of visiting his son, the Leipzig returned back to Paris, and Edward died. The Leipzig was so ill himself, he couldn't even attend the funeral of his son. On the 31st of October, 1893, whilst alone in a Paris hotel room, the Leipzig suffered an epileptic fit. He lingered on unconscious the following day, and he was found alone, dead, by one of the maids in the hotel. His sons brought his, back, brought his body back to Elverdon and buried him beside the graves of his wife, Bamba, and their young son, Prince Edward Albert de Singh. Elverdon Hall was sold by the trustees. The left portion is the actual original Elverdon Hall, which was the Maharaja's portion, and the central dome and the right wing was an addition of the present Ivor family, which is the Guinness family, who owned the hall now. Finally, in 1999, a bronze equestrian statue of the Maharaja was unveiled by the Prince of Wales. Um, and this gave the Maharaja his own place um, in the history of the area. That's the final slide, and I hope you enjoyed that talk. <laughs>